Everybody, it is John Pollock here alongside my best man, Waiting. How are you? <laughs> is uh, it the best comma man or the best man? No, with you, it's a run-on sentence way. Got it. No, Wonderful. No comma. Excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, it's don't a- don't ruin the uh, basketball game for me because I've PVR'd the entire series and I'm going to watch it sometime in November. So no one can talk about the basketball game. They can't put it on Facebook. Uh, I already contacted uh, ESPN.com. They have to take down their game recap. Uh, I'll get around to it November-ish, and then people can talk about it on the forum. They could talk about it on Twitter. I think November 15th, okay? Then we can talk about the Raptors. I think that's fair. So, um... Game seven. Uh, well, <laughs> spoiler alert, John. Damn. Who cares? It's gonna be. It's gonna be another night where we have to do a show. We're gonna. You and I are gonna be the only people. We. we this always happens with the Raptors. So it's inconvenient. Big games. The night. I mean, it's not surprising. There's, there's wrestling every night. It's like you and I do shows. Jesus, almost daily. So it's gonna happen. But yes, game seven against the Celtics will be head to head. I think it starts. I don't know what the it start starts time at is, nine. But, oh, it starts at nine. So right in the right in the middle of SmackDown. Very inconsiderate. I think of the Raptors. To... They could have just blown it tonight. I would have been fine. What was this, double overtime? It's like you've had your fun. Get out of the bubble. Go home. Yeah, so game seven. It should be big. Um, not going to lie, I might have a feed running in the background as we do rewind a SmackDown, so you might hear some celebrating or okay. maybe some disappointment on that live broadcast. You you should have it running. That would be fun. If it's live, we could get your live reaction as we're doing the show because the game's going to be ending while we're doing the show. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's, you know what, uh, definitely a big playoff feeling in the city at the moment. I guess so. Are people out there celebrating as we speak? Um, somewhere. Well, no, nothing to celebrate yet. No, we made it to game seven. You don't need an excuse mm. to celebrate in the city. They find their reasons. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really out right now. I can't tell you. So next week, folks, we will have Rewind of Dynamite. Uh, we're just going to be honest. Uh, we don't know what night it's going to be. It might be Wednesday. It might be Thursday. They don't know either. No, they don't. That was, uh, that was the joke. But uh, the original plan that they had announced was that they would be doing a one-hour show late Wednesday after the NBA game and then coming back Thursday with a second show and... I was planning, you and I, we would just do a show Thursday. I didn't think we'd do one for both, but now it looks like it'll be one show on one of the nights. Yeah, they said depending on whether or not like there's going to be a game six for some some other series that's going on. So we'll find out. Yeah, this is actually, having seen the, the, the Thursday and Saturday shows and how they did, I mean, yes, they did have the ability to promote those nights on actual television. But I think this audience 
I have a lot of faith that as soon as they know what day it's going to be, they're going to pump this thing to its audience and they will find it. But it, it might get hurt next week of people that went off the air tonight not knowing when Dynamite's going to be. But I feel that the a lot of the fan base, I think, are pretty savvy and will hear about it. But they, they might get hurt next week because of this confusion. Possibly. But, I mean, several weeks in now, I mean, I feel like they should feel pretty confident that their audience will find them can be that 50 plus audience well uh who cares that's uh that's not very uh complimentary oh whatever okay well way why don't we give a t-shirt away okay let's do it that yeah, uh, you know what? Instead of like doing reaching into the bucket, I'm gonna get you to give me a random number between one and one hundred. Well, sorry, one and one thousand nine hundred sixty-five. One thousand nine hundred sixty-five. Yeah, that's my guess. That's my number. That's the number. Yes. Count Congra- one, two. Congratulations! Oh, you know what? Yeah. No? No, 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 yeah. I was going to say, um, congratulations to James Feza. I don't know where you're from. You haven't put your address in, but you know what? I'm going to email you, and I'm going to get that information from you. So congratulations, James Feza. You are number, patron number 1,965, and you win a t-shirt from com. You see what you get? The Everyone says the early bird gets the worm. I'm not here. You can sleep in. You can join late. Got a t-shirt. Congratulations. We're not necess- it, It's not really necessarily, I guess, like who signed on first. I don't know how they oh. number this thing, but like I just downloaded a spreadsheet from Patreon and they just gave it gave this thing to me. So it's it's seemingly somewhat of a random order anyway. So whatever, James Feza, you you happen to be at the bottom of this list. So congratulations, congratulations, James. On to another list. We do not have one thousand nine hundred and sixty five G one competitors to talk about. We have twenty. New Japan released Wednesday morning at their show the participants that will be taking place in the G1 that starts in 10 days. And here is our block announcements. The A block, Mr. Ting, Kota Ibushi, Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, Shingo Takagi, Yujiro, Taichi, Minoru Suzuki, Jeff Cobb, Will Ospreay, and Jay White. Uh, B block, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Hiroki Goto, Toru Yano, Yoshihashi, Sonata, Tetsuya Naito, Evil, Zack Sabre Jr., Juice Robinson, and Kenta. Uh, the main takeaways that they got several of the foreign talent in. Jeff Cobb, Will Ospreay, Jay White, Kenta, Juice Robinson all have been absent during this return for New Japan, save for uh, Kenta and Cobb and Jay White on the New Japan Strong events, but they will be they will be in. So... It certainly bolsters up this year's G1. Uh, the A block looks insane. I can't fathom that we're going to get to see Yujiro take on Shingo, Okada, Abushi, Osprey, Jay White. Uh, I think Benno put it best. Did they announce the wrong Takahashi? Because I think many people <laughs> were hoping for Hiromu. And instead we got Yujiro, who is back uh, like a sore thumb in this block. But here we are. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I you know, B-Block has its Toriano matches. I 
I have to imagine Yudro might be among one of the more, I don't know, hopefully less physically taxing of the matches for the members of the A block. Maybe that's why he's there. Um, they needed somebody because, um, I mean, this is a, I, I honestly like, I'm, I'm just happy that several of the other performers were able to, uh, be present for this tournament. Cause otherwise I, I really would have, it would have still been a good tournament anyway, but I certainly would have been far less excited. You know, it's nice to see them mix, put, 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 you know, a lot of the, the roster members back into the mix. Yeah. I think if you take out, um, some of these, you know, Number one, it the, it's the foreigners that we have not seen recently, so it is some freshness to what we've been watching from New Japan over the last couple of months. Uh, it, to me, significantly enhances uh, the A block. Like that that A block, when you look at some of these matches, like Osprey and Tomohiro Ishii have never had a match before. Uh, you're going to get Osprey, uh, the rematch with Okada. You're going to get Osprey and Ibushi. You're going to get Shingo in a rematch with Minoru Suzuki. We've got Suzuki back in this thing. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on a Jeff Cobb. Like he, he did not light the world on fire last year. Uh, so I'm hoping he has a very good outing and he certainly has the opponents to do so. B block to me is more of, um, I, I don't know what this is. This one's going to be. It's going to be heavily dependent on like, you know, Tanahashi is going to put on some great performances and work around whatever limitations he has. I think it's a big task for, for Naito. Like we, we've seen him and, you know, physically where he is, like this is going to be a tough tournament for him to have. Uh, and then you're going to be looking at guys to really step up like a Goto, um, like a Juice Robinson, an evil, like evil to me. I think he's going to be booked very strong coming off this title loss. Like he could be one of those guys that goes undefeated for the first half of this thing before he maybe falters, but he could be one of the live uh, participants right up until the end. So, um yeah, it's it. I, I have more questions about the B block because the A block, I think, is going to produce some unbelievable matches. Yeah, um, you know, of the two, I, I, A block probably looks stronger, but I don't think B block is any sort of slouch. You know, I don't think the dis- disparity is that big. I mean, you do have uh, Zack Saber Jr. in that block. You have Sonata in that block, as you mentioned, Hiroshi Tanahashi. I'm looking more so with an A block. You know, some some interesting storytelling matchups. Uh, in particular, like between, you know, you're going to have Kenta take on Evil. You know, these are two of the, um, I don't know, perceived higher up members of the Bullet Club. And how is that match going to look like? You have Evil, um, not just rematch Tetsuya Naito. And this time with the 30 minute time limit. So maybe um, you 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 can worry a bit less about that one, John. But we're also going to see Evil versus Sonata in this block. So, yes. so several of these storytelling uh, elements, I I'm more looking forward to than perhaps even the matches themselves. Uh, I'm going to be doing a preview show this Saturday with WH. We'll go through kind of our thoughts on both blocks. But if you had to handicap this way, have at it. Who who is on your short list for each block? If you have like two picks to win either block, um, definitely I would say Kodobushi a block. Um, you know, Okada is always up there. Shingo Takagi, now that he's not never open weight champion, is a possibility. Um, can't really see some of the others. Maybe Jay White, he's always a possibility. Um, on the B block side of things, you know, um, Evil, I suppose, now that he's up there, um, could be Kenta, could be Sonata. 
yeah, there's a lot of interesting, like it's, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, interesting options of, of where you can go uh, with all of this. And we don't have any of the match announcements yet in terms of what is like where all these matches are going to be scheduled, uh, but it kicks off next Saturday. So I imagine we're going to get some of those announcements over, hopefully over the next few days as this uh, New Japan Road Tour winds down. And as mentioned, we will be running a pool again this year. So as soon as we find out what the cards are, we'll update those and send that, that along and we'll give you guys plenty of time. Uh, in the meantime, listen to Post ProRes this weekend just, uh, and do your own research because uh, some, probably sometime within the next week we will put that up there before Mondays, or sorry, Saturdays, uh, the 19th opening card. And we will also have, of course, our almost daily G1 podcast for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe beginning with next Saturday, September 19th. We're also going to have reports up on the site after each G1 show uh, and the preview show this Saturday with WH Park. So tons of coverage of the G1 uh, that kicks off starting this Saturday. Uh, Moving over to Raw from Monday night, things kind of came back down to earth after the last two weeks where you had the combination of the newness, the freshness of the Thunderdome, as well you were coming off SummerSlam into a lesser degree payback. But this week, without any pay-per-view to come off of, and no match announcements until late in the afternoon Monday, we saw 1,725,000 viewers uh, tuning into Raw, down 9%. Uh, and this was the first week since the Thunderdome that none of the hours topped 2 million viewers. So that was down. They were also down... Uh, in their demo from a 0.58 to a 0.48 this week, uh, going against uh, two NBA playoff games that were one after the other, the uh, the later game doing over 3.4 million viewers. And what was interesting is that when we look at the uh, demo figures, like there were some some big losses from from last week. You also had the Labor Day holiday in, in this as well, but 18 to 34 year olds were down 30%. Uh, women 12 to 34 were down 28%. Those are the biggest losses. Uh, but what I found interesting was that the female audiences that did tune in, uh, yes, they were down, but those that tuned in throughout the show, you had women 18 to 49 that actually grew in the third hour by 12%, uh, and younger women stayed even. They dropped a little in the second hour, but then picked right up to their uh, same level as the first hour in hour number three. So that was a... That was a silver lining that their female audience that tuned in were interested in what they were watching. And this week we had the second hour that actually outdid the first hour. So the the first to third hour drop was somewhat uh, lessened uh, this week. But uh, this this number drop, I think we knew that things were not going to stay at the level of the last couple of weeks. I think there was a lot to do with the Thunderdome uh, and secondary. I think coming off those pay-per-views helped. And next week, I think this is only going to be compounded once you have Monday night football that will be consistently running every Monday night. So uh, next week, we'll determine kind of what is what is the level we can expect with NFL competition. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, the NBA is not over either. No, you have the the perfect storm of sports competition. You have the NBA, you have Major League Baseball that is going to be continuing. You have football. And to a lesser degree, hockey, it's like everything is going on. So um, it's going to be added more more sports competition than ever for, for Raw in this fall season. I guess 
if you had to uh, handicap this way, if I were to tell you uh, next week, let's say 1,650,000 viewers, are you going higher or lower for next week's Raw? Mm, I'm going to say so much of it, I think, will depend on what they announce. Uh, you know, I would say this Raw, they definitely could have done a better job of promoting whatever they had. Well, they announced the they have announced the champion versus champions thing with the, the two tag champions. And we got Oscar and Mickey James. Those are yeah. at least two matches they have announced. But I don't know if those are going to be significant uh, s- s- swings among your viewership. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm going to say at the moment, probably over 1.6 million, um, but probably hovering around what we saw this week. All right. We continue. And. AJ Styles uh, took the Twitch, and it doesn't look like this is going to be uh, switching for AJ because he informed us that, well, let's talk about the stream. Is it going to continue? And from the contacts that I've had, the information I got is WWE wants us to interact. I can't do this for the whole thing. But anyway, AJ confirming what's out there that It looks like Twitch and YouTube will not be affected by these restrictions from WWE. And he noted that they were somewhat vague, but afterwards stating that, you know, they they want us to be doing this. He did not go into any specifics about the real names versus uh, your names that appear on television. Uh, But he said that, like, this stream doesn't appear like it's going to be going anywhere. And he didn't make any mention of um, anything beyond that. He also talked a little bit about... Um, having COVID-19 and that he did go home to quarantine for 10 days and that because of the taping schedule at the time, he was able to uh, go back after those 10 days and return and just kind of uh, repeated a a lot of what he had said uh, prior. But not that there was much news coming out of this, only that, you know, he pretty much confirmed what's out there, that at least Twitch and YouTube seem to be unaffected. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, we'll see. It did not... I mean, it's it's interesting to me how little the talent seems to have initially been told about this whole thing, and it it does feel to me like everybody's kind of finding out at the at the very same time. Um, but for now, that at least means Twitch and YouTube. Okay. It just seems like this memo that went out could have been a lot more clear and concise, and would have been. I think if you had made it clear that. And maybe this was something that that got um, you know they they sat down and and rethought as well um, that it was just this sweeping announcement no n- none of this and that's how it came across if you read that memo that you know that I think would have eased a lot of the concerns if people knew that from the get go but who's to say WWE didn't somewhat uh, we're, we're figuring this out on the fly themselves like what was this all going to encompass like I'm sure. I'm sure Vince McMahon is a, a subscriber to a lot of these Twitch streams and probably had a soft spot in his heart for, you know, what I – these guys are gamers just like myself and I, I want to be able to give them this, this platform literally and figuratively. I think he should be good on Twitch. Oh, could you imagine Vince McMahon? Yeah. Uh, yeah Twitch, Twitch.com slash things of that nature. Things of that nature. Hey, everybody in the room. What's <laughs> going – hey, hey, Sausage Fest. Uh Thanks a lot for the donation. Yeah. All right. UFC 254. It's happening on October 24th. We talked about this earlier, but uh, Dana White noted uh, in his Q&A with the media on Tuesday after the Contender Series that 
Much like the Khabib Nurmagomedov Dustin Poirier fight from last year that took place in Abu Dhabi, where this one will be as well, uh, it's going to happen in the afternoon for North Americans. So not airing in the usual 10 p.m. Eastern uh, time slot for pay-per-views. And I don't know if this was going to have a gigantic effect on on Bound for Glory that night, but it's a big fight. Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje, if this was a smaller pay-per-view, I would say it'd probably be nil. I think in, I think if you are someone that was planning to order Bound for Glory, I don't know if a UFC pay-per-view is going to change too many people's plans, but it's it's a big fight. So I think it's it's not a bad thing for Bound for Glory that they don't have this going head-to-head with them that same night at the same time. I really, at this point, don't know what that crossover might be um, between, you know, an Impact fan and a UFC fan. Um I mean, I, I'm not even really clear on what these numbers that Impact are doing um, might be right now. So I, I, I can't imagine it to be greatly affected by what you know a UFC running on the same day. Mm-hmm. It's um, you know, it's something that you know Impact to me it would be a much bigger uh, impact. Pardon the pun. Uh, if you had an AEW pay per view, I think they would actively move from going against any major UFC pay per view and, and avoid that. Perhaps. Finn Balor won the NXT title on on Wednesday night. Uh, did you see the show, and what did you think of the match with Adam Cole? Yeah, uh, I thought it was a very enjoyable match. Um, you know, they the the big story, of course, is uh, the Adam Cole babyface turn. Yeah, at the end, I mean, they did the the mutual respect, the the backstage uh, deal with the with the two of them, and yeah, the outcome I kind of expected. I thought they had a very very solid match. I liked that they started off the show with it. And then built up to the steel cage match. And I guess now it is uh, building up to whoever is going to be that challenger for Finn Balor. Because they have a takeover in just a couple of weeks. Hmm. I mean, certainly freshens up the the entire thing. Um, What do you think happens with Adam Cole? uh, I think he can possibly go into feud with... I mean, if he's going to leave the Undisputed Era, and it's clear to me from watching this episode that Roddy and Bobby Fish at least are still heels, um, you might start to see some sort of inner conflict and a feud within the members. This is pure speculation on my part, but could you, like, I'm, I could see him getting uh, drafted when they do the draft next month. Yeah, like, that's it, very It feels like too. he's, you know, he's had the multiple title reigns. It's, you could do a little babyface run with him, but to me, I would... Now that he's kind of like done this turn, I think you could build up to maybe one more match, be it at the takeover where he works as the babyface, loses on the way out, and then he's drafted to Raw or SmackDown. Like I think he's kind of reached his limit at NXT. Yeah, absolutely. I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, I I would hate to see the Undisputed Era break up, but at the same time, it's perhaps they have reached their ceiling. And honestly, um, I think it's definitely time for some of the other members to really step up in that leadership role. So with this babyface turn, hopefully somebody else can take up to uh, step up to take his place. Kyle O'Reilly, as a heel or babyface, he'd be tremendous. As, I, I think as, as a, a single heel, star, I think he'd be a great leader to step in for Adam Cole. Maybe he should be the one to eliminate Adam Cole from the undisputed era. Great, and then maybe even bring somebody else in, you know, to complete the the four. Um, but uh, certainly, like a guy like like Kyle O'Reilly is is long due for more. You know. Have you ever had spaghetti thrown on top of you with a white shirt on? No. It's never not happened. salad either. No. 
I mean, uh, Tegan Knox was uh, playing Jimmy Fallon during that segment. She was just trying her best not to like <laughs> break out laughing. It seemed like it was a real struggle to get through it at times. <laughs> I mean, it was it was quite the scene between the two of them. But it's still you- fun. Yeah, I mean, they're they're incredibly like. I would say very kind of low budget campy types of segments. And I think you either like them or you don't like them. Um, to me, um, I don't know. They're rather inoffensive. I, I don't really care about them either way. Uh, and then we had Rhea Ripley winning the steel cage match over Mercedes Martinez. They did a segment afterwards where they have eliminated Mercedes from the Robert Stone brand. And I'm happy to see Rhea yeah. Ripley m- move on from, from this feud. I don't think it's done her any favors and, the Mercedes Martinez thing, I mean, certainly raises some eyebrows because it wasn't long ago that she joined the Robert Stone brand. I mean, this Robert Stone brand, I they've had they've not had much luck uh, retaining members. Um, I think it's been just such a I, I hate the gimmick, but um, I'll just Mercedes- say I'm really glad for their sake that retribution came along this year when it comes to my uh, my year end thinking. Yeah, so Mercedes Martinez, would you say um, she's another candidate for the draft? I guess possibly. I mean, it was very abrupt to just put her in the group and then take her out. Um, maybe they just felt like her her value was, you know, putting over Rhea Ripley, and then um, retribution came along, as you said. And that that's it. She could yeah. certainly be one of those candidates to be in in retribution. You have you have the draft, and you have uh, all the uh, the identities to fill in retribution. Which I mean, you can put as many as as you'd like in there. I. Man, it's it's a very tough introduction if you're part of this retribution thing. Like they they need mm-hmm. to do something significant because man, being attached to this group, it it's getting this push, but man, it just feels like one that it's going to be shelved soon. I don't know. It it doesn't feel like it has a long shelf life is what I'm trying to say. It's uh, certainly like it's always these types of factions are always like that, right? Um they might like, you know, try to treat them seriously for one pay-per-view cycle. They'll all get beat up and then they'll just go their own separate ways. Um, but you know, in the end, like if we're talking like six months from now, I mean, you know, if Mercedes Martinez or Adam Cole or like Donovan Dijak, they come up to the main roster as just kind of like standard roles. Um, that's ultimately to me what matters, not necessarily the introduction. And the NXT ratings, we should have them out on, on Thursday. Um, with everything delayed this week with the uh, holiday. But there you go. Those are some news and notes. Of course, you can go to postwrestling.com for all your latest news. We also have uh, an interview up there that Andrew Thompson conducted with with Vampiro, who was very impressed with one Andrew Thompson and his interview skills, mm-hmm. as he should be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, subscribe to that YouTube channel, everybody. Andrew What's the Thompson. YouTube channel? Andrew Thompson Interviews. Just look for it. Andrew Thompson interviews on mm-hmm. YouTube. Andrew Thompson interviews on YouTube. Okay, let us move on. Uh, as we mentioned, we've got uh, plenty of shows coming your way. Friday, we are live, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time. Forget about that basketball game. It's all about Rewind, a SmackDown live with myself and Mr. Ting. We'll have the basketball game on in the background. Uh, maybe some 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 uh, way-by-play. Oh, very good. That's a new one. Saturday, it is Post Pro Res with WH Park and myself. We will have a preview of the G1. We will dive into the blocks, potential outcomes, 
and WH will just uh, tell us exactly what's going to happen. Plus, we will look at the Champion Carnival uh, that's kicking off and Noah's N1 Victory Tournament, and we'll catch up on whatever other news and notes there are going on in the world of Japanese wrestling. And then Sunday night, I'm dropping my interview with Keith Elliott Greenberg, the author of Too Sweet, Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution, uh, for a fun chat discussing that book and the entire independent wrestling scene as as we know it and undertaking quite the project of documenting like the formation of AEW and having to figure out like when do you go ahead and publish this thing when there's so much happening on almost a monthly basis. So we'll talk about all of that uh, with Keith Elliott Greenberg Sunday night with the post interview. Yeah, quick plug for what's on the Patreon right now. And that's uh, recently released last night, our Rocky 2 review. We've been going through all the series, and this was the second iteration. If you wanted to hear the first Rocky review, we put that one up for free last week on the free feed. So if you just scroll down, you can hear it. And if you want to hear the latest iteration, it's up on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed. Always fun chatting about these these films with you, Way. Yeah, it's uh, definitely nice to get outside of like you know professional wrestling or MMA once in a while and just like talk about like a film using professional wrestling you know, uh, tools of criticism. If you get around to watching it, uh, this la- last weekend, I watched the David Arquette documentary. Oh yes. I've been uh, meaning to for sure. So yeah. Okay. We'll maybe have a chance to talk about it at some point. A review, uh, a TBA review, but if we get into G1 season, all bets are off. So no promises. Okay. Dynamite Wednesday night coming off of the all out pay-per-view, which was a somewhat malign pay-per-view, I will say. I think certainly when you are looking at past AEW shows, this would be falling at the bottom. There was a lot of criticism levied towards AEW. And this was uh, co- coming out. How would they respond to that show where this is a company that I do feel has their their, their ear to the ground on what that reaction was and seeing what kind of reaction they would have here. So Tony Schiavone is outside the building and – Two vehicles pull up, nose to nose, and there are Chris Jericho and MJF. And they immediately start talking about the other's match. And Jericho thought that Moxley cheated and guarantees that one day MJF will be champion. MJF says, you face that soulless ginger prick, Orange Cassidy. And he promises one day Jericho will regain his AEW title. And it's like, here are the two heels that have a mutual respect for one another. And after exchanging compliments, they go their separate ways and we get a split screen. MJF calls him a loser under his breath. And Jericho looks disgusted at who he has just interacted with. I thought this was like a fun start to the show with like the two heels that uh, are just like just bullshitters to each other's face. It was, it was, I thought it was a pretty clever way of doing, you know, a, a traditional recap of a pay-per-view without just like going the sort of like the music video promo package type of route. Uh, and instead having what was a really amusingly uh, produced and I think shot scene, you know, like it, it was like directly um, like mirrored, you know, like it was split in half the entire time. One, what is it? uh whatever uh, SUV drives in the other SUV drives in they exchange words and then they walk and then you see the split screen I thought it was all really well done and I don't know if this was like necessarily meant to tease anything down down the road but um I mean I just took it to be more like a cute interaction between like the two biggest 
like assholes on the roster. They've done this a few times now with Jericho and MJF. It's like every so often they they're 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 on these they're like on separate planets in AEW, but every now and then the two evil characters intersect. Like just to keep that there, um, which I, I would imagine is uh, not there for no reason. It's just like a little interaction we get every now and then. Yeah, I mean, in comic books, sometimes you get this. You might have Doctor Doom interacting with like I don't know Magneto or or whoever, and you know they might work together temporarily but in the end they hate each other so yeah it's it was cool in the ring are penta l0m and ray phoenix taking on luchasaurus and jungle boy and we've got marco stunt and eddie kingston in the respective corners uh we got just a tradi- uh, a tremendous um showcase of balance first from jungle boy then topped by phoenix I mean, I could watch these two just, like, s- scale the ropes and just walk. They were tremendous. Absolutely. Um, I love seeing, like, how, at least in AEW, like, they have a lot of tag teams that have at least one person who is, you know, a traditionally a cruiserweight. And as a result, like, they, they end up feeling very special when they're put into matches like like of this type of context. I mean, a lot of WWE tag teams just featured two guys that have very similar stature and... Um, you know, the cruiserweights are left on the cruiserweight TV show and you don't really get anything. Or you might have a tag a tag team only of cruiserweights. Uh the fact that like you have sort of like, you know, always in these tag teams two relatively unique members like we have in this, uh gives you like opportunity to see two of them really shine in just the I don't know, a more important context. Jungle Boy avoided the package pile driver and then he went to jump off Luchasaurus's back and he slipped with Ross noting it's hot here. Therefore, the man is perspiring. Even dinosaurs sweat and Jungle Boy slipped. I, I mean, it's it's definitely nice to like have a commentator kind of like cover for a performer. There's a diving Rana by Jungle Boy onto, onto Pentagon. There's a Tope Suicida. He just did this great sequence uh, recovering quickly from the slip. Uh, Excalibur brought up the passing of, of Rick Drazen, who was uh, just recently passed away and was the teacher for both Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. So I thought it was a nice mention to work in, and this was the match to make that mention. Uh, Luchasaurus hit this massive chokeslam to Phoenix as he was trying a springboard, followed with a standing moonsault, and Penta broke it up uh, or, uh, with a head kick. Then they do the foot stomp into the package pile driver double team on Jungle Boy who kicks out. And they've been doing a lot of this with Jungle Boy that he can just withstand all of this and just is the baby face fighting from underneath that survives. And Pentagon then leapt off the turnbuckle as Jungle Boy reversed and there caught in the line of fire. This this is was so funny because there there was one time that I was uh I was out for a walk and um there was this this man that was uh you know when you uh hook yourself up to the side of a of a building and you're cleaning the windows this man unhooked himself and he fell down and he was leaping towards me and I quickly I just grabbed this other man put him in my place and he took the Canadian destroyer on to Young Street, and I was okay. Because this can happen. Like, if someone is bound and determined to hit a Canadian destroyer, you get out of the way. And those, you, when, you're, when you're in the mindset that I'm hitting a Canadian destroyer, 
There's no going back. There's no, there's no Matt Seidel. I can stop myself in midair. Like you are committed to the Canadian destroyer and, uh, here in Canada, just destroyer. But unfortunately, Phoenix caught in the line of fire here. He takes Pentagon's destroyer and Jungle Boy rolls up Phoenix in 928. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drive by Canadian destroyer. It's terrible. Yes. I thought this was a really good match. You know, in particular, Jungle Boy and Phoenix, both incredibly impressive here as sort of like the, I don't know, the the counterparts to each other on their team. Um, and, you know, the heavies, uh, in particular, like Luchasaurus, look great throwing Phoenix around. It was really good high-level opening tag team wrestling to start the show. Fun match. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, four of your, your solid teams. Uh, having, Re- uh, rehab the um, Jurassic Express a bit. Yeah, yeah, coming off the the Young Bucks match, and obviously they are uh, – this win was to build for something that we'd get to later on. But afterward, Phoenix starts shoving Pentagon, Butcher in the Blade, get in the middle, and Eddie Kingston, are we done? Are we done? He tells them all to stop it. He's pissed off. Where's your little British friend? He goes to the Blade. Where's your wife? Where are all these people? I'm here for you. What happened in the Battle Royal? There were five of us, and we blew it. He brought up Phoenix, kicking Blade in the face. Doesn't buy that it was an accident. He said, we should be running this place. And he tells Pentagon and Phoenix to shake hands, but Penta just shoves Phoenix. Kingston calls Pentagon his best friend, and he demands that they shake hands. They finally do, and Kingston inserts the line that he was never eliminated from the Battle Royal. I forget what exactly that meant. Was he actually not eliminated? I guess, like, I didn't go back and watch the ending, but I'm imagining that when he ended up, because remember, he was seated on the turnbuckle. I'm imagining he didn't go over the top when he got there and then got launched off the turnbuckle to the floor. But I would have to go back and uh, check. I guess it was one of those probably not, not, not planned endings, but one that just happened. And therefore, they'll probably just fill in that gap. Like Archer Chokeslam Kingston. Onto Butcher and the Blade was like the last. Off the of turnbuckle, spot. right? Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't an, an elimination? Okay. Well, um, I, you know, I, I just think about like what the intent behind a segment like this might be. And I mean, I guess the Butcher, sorry, this this faction have not necessarily been all that successful coming off of the Battle Royal and now in this match. And, um, but the one common factor that they have to keep them afloat is Eddie Kingston and his great counseling skills which um, were showcased here, and we learned that they basically consist of him yelling as loud as he can at the problem until it Are goes away. Are we done? Are we done? <laughs> yeah. So um, This dude's got to do commentary uh, for, for at least like a match or two. Oh, he'll be great, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure. It's like you know, Eddie Kingston at this point is still after, uh, what is it, the person who won the Battle Royal, or if this was just him trying to protect... Trying to them trying to protect him, saying he never lost. Um, but certainly, like on the microphone, he still feels very much like a hot commodity. No matter how how much this team lose, he can talk himself up to feel like a big deal. And um, you know, the 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 idea of like one guy leading two tag teams. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. 
Yeah. It, one of the themes of the show was how deep this tag division is. And that became a focus. All these teams and even new teams have their eyes on the tag titles. Like I thought they did a really great job of making these tag titles feel coveted tonight. And I hope if this is a kind of theme that they're going with, uh, either either you break off Pentagon from Phoenix and get Phoenix back into a babyface role or you kind of get these two – rolling because i just think that they have sort of been in this place for for long enough that i would i would want to get them something focused upon uh beyond just being eddie kingston's backup yeah i mean i think as single stars you know they could still both function really well both going for two two separate sets of titles um with eddie kingston and kind of being their mouthpieces but it, it looks like maybe they're gonna they could possibly split them up Jake Roberts and Lance Archer are out in the rain. Jake was wearing this T-shirt that had a strip of snakeskin just across it. Um, It's quite the shirt. He said, you might as well get wet and enjoy it. Moxley, you'll get wet, sweat, and and piss yourself when we grab a hold of you, which is like, that's a lot of bodily functions at once you know you're uh archer just says you've been champion for too long these segments i will say like they are so focused on jake it's like you have no memory of lance archer it's only jake uh because he just is uh what is going to come out of this guy's mouth and how is he going to say what is coming out of his mouth i i do feel like that's changing you know we've seen lance archer take take a bigger role in these types of segments he's not just a, ba- a guy in the background he's cutting promos now himself and in my opinion he's the only person really making any sense in these segments jake um whatever he says what are you talking about <laughs> whatever jake says sounds really interesting by the end of it i'm not exactly sure what he's talking about lance archer actually like kind of focuses and talks about like his opponent and everything well like I mean, his is more of a generic kind of "I'm going to beat you up" type of promo, but um, Jake's is uh, Jake's is as well. It's just a very different way of doing it. Jake Roberts calling Dark solo, just screaming. Wow. Hmm. Look at these squirrels. Are you a squirrel? <laughs> Someone needs to put like a YouTube video together of like the best of Jake and AEW because he's had some sure. he's had some doozies. Hmm. Matt Hardy walks out and got a hell of a reception. And how do you think the crowd sounded this week? Um, I thought in spurts, like with certain appearances, they got lively. Um, but I, I still don't feel it sounds um, overwhelming. But it's I, I've sort of just uh, relaxed my brain to this is what it sounds like at Daily's Place. I thought the show overall definitely sounded better this week than last. Uh, sounded better than it did on Sunday, too. It sounded like in this segment, at least, there was some canned audio used underneath. And uh, if that's the case, I mean, whatever improvement they made to him, uh, whether it be coaching or just, um, I don't know, la- length of show, definitely, I would say, an improvement over the past two um, times we saw crowds in this arena. Jim Ross surveyed Matt Hardy, and he said, looks good to me. And then Matt got a big chance. He said, it's great to be in an arena with real people. And thank you for being part of the magic that makes us do what we do. He said it was a very scary fall on Saturday, and I want to thank all the people for their concern. I had a myriad of tests 
and I'm expected to make a full recovery. And he points to his shirt that says, Matt Hardy cannot die. He says, no, I'm not the toughest. I'm just the luckiest man alive. And he points out to Rebby Hardy, who's there with their newborn, and then says hi to Maxwell and Wolfgang at home and apologizes for putting them through what he did on Saturday and to all of the fans for putting them through that. You showed us how much you care about us wrestlers that come out here for your entertainment. The Broken Rules match wasn't what I wanted it to be. Maybe it's a good thing this vendetta is over because someone could have been hurt a lot worse if it continued. It's time for me to get back to getting healthy, and when I'm cleared, I will return, and I want to chase my first AEW championship. This was like the ultimate babyface promo, and then if you couldn't, uh, the cherry on top was him just looking at everybody and saying, pro wrestling fans are the best, and this crowd just loved Matt Hardy. Like This was the guy that just came out, and I was kind of curious, like, AEW took so much flack for Saturday. Like, was there going to be any kind of like just, uh, you know, little dig at like the reaction to it? Like, this was the complete opposite. It was like, okay, Saturday was a bad deal and we're moving on from it. Thank you for your concern. They could have been like somewhat vindictive to their fan base and they were not here. Um, and I just thought this was like, how could you not be rooting for this guy by the end of this this promo? It was just like, and I was so happy because part of me was expecting, my God, Sammy Guevara is going to jump him at the end of this. And I don't think there's a soul that wants to see this feud continue. And I was glad that this was just on its own. It was just like a really nice moment for Matt Hardy, who I guess is going to disappear for a bit and then come back post Sammy Guevara feud. Yeah, Sammy had to sell that injury too, right? Like. Falling off the scaffold. He shouldn't have been on the show. No, not at all. Which is what he was doing, I think Jericho mentioned. Um, But, you know, this seemed to me very much like, um, I think, a a really good, honest attempt at sort of controlling the bad press that AEW's received by having Matt Hardy come out here, thanking the audience for their concern, and saying, you know what, Uh, we shouldn't have done that. Or essentially him saying it, kind of taking the blame blame on himself, saying, "Um, this was not the match I wanted to have. I'm sorry I put everybody through this. It was, um, I think, a way of basically shutting down the conversation, you know, after this. Um, certainly, like, you know, um, if if it happens again, you know, people may be able to raise fingers. But in the meantime, it, it feels like a conclusion to this story. Like, it feels like it's an acknowledgement. And um, that, you know, like, they, they, they are appreciative of, of the concern. Now, um, he's he said he's going to take time to heal, right? Yes. Um, so did he have a concussion or not? Or was this just a, like a pr- precautionary healing? What, what, what are we talking about here? He never, uh, like, I was very curious to see if he would address, like, if he would say one way or the other. Um, and the announcers didn't say anything about it. It was, you know, the last was Rebby saying one thing and Tony saying another and I thought it was interesting, the fact that Rebby was here, and I think just the fact that they showed her on camera, I'm not going to say this was the intent of it, but the mm. the result was, like, you seeing Rebby, like, that kind of showed that, hey, we're all on the same page now. Like, Rebby was there, she was uh, applauding Matt, and I think for AEW, uh, that was a much better look for them than Saturday and Sunday were. Yeah. So... 
Um, yeah, but did not specifically state the concussion, but said when he's cleared, he'll return. So that was the language. Angelico and Orange Cassidy. Jack Evans is out with Angelico. And early on, uh, Angelico is just using all these. Uh, well, first of all, first of all, Orange Cassidy is looking out like towards the hard camera. And Angelico just walks up to the side of him and drills him with this straight right hand. Orange Cassidy demonstrating the peripheral vision of Rocky Balboa. Um, he just time, walked up from the side and just drilled him in the face with a punch. Well, half the time, How did you not see this? Half the time he's like got his eyes open, but he's actually asleep. Right? He could have been sleeping. Yes. Yeah. So Angelico just applied all these cool submissions, including the Navarro Dose, which is like a backslide setup with the leg tied around the body. Um, did some cool submissions here. Then runs, misses him in the corner, and Cassidy just goes on offense with the sequence, including a swinging DDT and ending with the orange punch to win in 313. And they emphasize like Orange Cassidy has been unhinged now. It's it's Orange Cassidy, the badass. That's what's come out of this Jericho feud. He now has this attribute where this guy gives a shit. The challenge now is to push. Like, I mean, they've really been given a gift in like, I don't think anybody expected, you know, a potential top star in Orange Cassidy to develop this strongly over the course of this year. So I would say they've really been given a, a great gift in in, in, in him. Uh, Chris Jericho has done a tremendous job of elevating him to a serious level. And now the goal is to move him on from the Jericho program into other programs. And it's it's going to continue to be tricky, um, but especially it would have been even trickier if he didn't evolve and didn't change his character. So he's, you know, as you saw, saw in this match, he's shed a lot of the lazy guy gimmick. You know, he's not doing the lazy punches anymore. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say like he wouldn't do them ever again, but like, in a context like this, just coming off of the Jericho match, uh, he he was presented as a much more typical cruiserweight high flyer in ring, but one who is exceptionally popular now with the audience. So I think it's 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 the type of change and evolution everybody wants to see. We want to see this guy challenge for like the TNT title. We want to see him eventually challenge for the the AEW championship too, and um, he can afford to like. I would say almost be a bit more of a standard wrestler these days, just just to make him that much more of a believable competitor. Yeah, it almost requires a reason for him to revert back to that character, which has been his bread and butter for so long. Um, but you've you've made this giant leap with the character that it would seem all for naught to just settle back into that character and only um, come out of that shell every so often. Like I think you have to get past that or else it's going to be seen as you know you took these two three steps forward and then going several back to just be the background guy with the best friends and then every couple of months he comes out yeah yeah i mean that guy was great i think it got him basically this level of attention but now he's something better he's something that is able to make this company even more money than what that guy was so as sad as we may see you know um those kind of um lazy dives not happening anymore um, they definitely did have a shelf life and I think we have to be thankful that he, he didn't fall into obscurity, you know, and that he, he can move on from it into something potentially, you know, bigger. So he's the, he's my final candidate to do commentary on dark and the week he does it, who does he bump out of that seat? Who's furious? Taz. 
That's it. That's how we get to orange versus orange. Ooh. Yes. I think there's a lot of, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, I was going to say juice, but there, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot to that feud. I, I think that that's like a good segue, but we'll see. I'm sure they have like a solid I idea hope it's a him. bit better than just, hey, you stole my color. No, it's a good line, but it shouldn't be the basis uh, fighting over a color. Santana and Ortiz jump orange with the rod and the best friends run out and Chuck Taylor gets on the mic. I was like typing down my notes, so I'm not watching the screen. And man, sometimes when you're not watching someone talk, you associate another person that has a familiar voice to that person. Try not to think of Shane McMahon the next time you hear Chuck Taylor talk. Really? Like okay. There is there's definitely – I'm not going to say like it's verbatim, but it's close enough between the two. Interesting. Shane's a little, little more higher pitched, but it, it very much struck me. Hmm. Uh, Taylor calls them ding-dongs and tells them to meet them in the parking lot next week. Trent says you can shove your apology up your ass. We're not coming to hug or have fun. We're here to hurt you. And make my mama proud. And the best friends in Orange hugged to end the segment. It was really nice to finally see a best friends serious fired up promo. To me, this was like the type of tone that was missing from the last time they tried to uh, build up to a match between them and and, uh, Proud and Powerful. Um, I think it's something that this team has been sorely missing. You know, much like Orange Cassidy had to shed the I don't care type of gimmick. I mean, best friends have to do that, I would say, even more. So... Um, this to me was like a nice, nice change. Alex Marvez. He is outside of the young bucks locker room. I've never seen a man. So awkwardly knock on a door and await an answer as Alex Marvez did. Maybe, maybe he knew what was to come and he just says, guys, I'm sorry. They're not here. And then the door opens and Matt and Nick, Super kick, Alex Marvez, and this would lead to both being fined five thousand dollars. Five thousand, wow. Um, well, yeah, they're they're badasses now. Yeah, they're very. Um, I mean, it, it depends on what portion of the evening the, that you catch the bucks at. I mean, sometimes. They are very sympathetic and want to mend fences. Other times they want to super kick a interviewer's head off for mm-hmm. interrupting them. Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford came out. Tony Schiavone was there to interview them. And Schiavone was told by Sabian, if we wanted one of the broadcasters, it would be Jim Ross, who looks like he likes to have a good time. And they sent Timmy away. Kip plugged his Twitch account and said he's been inundated with requests for a for people to be his best man. And he goes to introduce the best man and out walks independent wrestling sensation Puff, who comes out and he was told, no, you're the best for subscribing to my Twitch stream. And why don't you do what you do best, taking up space. But don't forget to resub next month. Hmm. I don't know if enough people are familiar with with, with Puff that would have uh, I wasn't rea- was react was going to react to this, and I would have said the same if this was a an episode of Dynamite here in Jacksonville with uh, five thousand people. Um, but nonetheless, this was uh, 
It's, they're... I mean, it's, it's the type of audience that'll like. So, some will get it. Up. Some will definitely get it. Um, yeah. They just needed uh, any, anybody really. I, I think it was mainly like the joke, even if you don't get it, like you can just see it. it's like, okay, here's a, here's a swerve over the best man. Then Brian Pillman Jr. came out on his 27th birthday. And this part I thought was pretty funny. He says, I got your te- I, I got your text. And Kip explains, no, the text was, you're the best, comma, man. We're not even friends. He tells him to get out of here. I hope your birthday sucked. And then the real best man comes out. It's Miro, complete with dyed blonde hair. And um, a new Titantron and a, like a theme song. song that actually starts with... I'm the best... I'm the best man. Yes, yes. He came out and he cut a promo saying 10 years in the same house under the same glass ceiling with an imaginary brass ring. Well, you can take that brass ring and shove it up your ass. There's a chant of Miro, which I guess means the audience was making fun of him. He says, elite recognizes elite. What, why do you think they were making fun of him? That was the explanation he gave that when the fans were chanting Rusev Day, Vince McMahon thought the oh. fans are making fun of you by chanting <laughs> Rusev Day. He said he loves Kip. He will be his best man. He is the best gamer on Twitch. He will devour people. My name is Miro and I am all elite. Uh you know I thought this was a great reveal. You know when when Kip Sabian said uh, like started uh, announced this on Sunday. I thought it was going to be for some new tag team partner, maybe some I don't know new mid Carter, um, Rusev Miro jumping into the mix. I mean, he was I would say the top get from that group that was released over um the, the summer, and um I thought they kept it a pretty good secret if there was any intent of him joining All Elite Wrestling, and to see him here was unexpected. Um. But I enjoyed the promo, and I think him being in a stable with Sabian and Ford could actually be pretty good. I, I think that he'll be um, very good in this role. I think he can play off a lot of people. I was actually imagining a scenario where he had come in and joined the Jurassic Express, but he always plays it straight that he's legitimately teaming with a dinosaur. Why? Because I just thought it'd be funny. Like, this guy pretending he is teaming with an actual dinosaur. I thought it'd be very funny. Could be. Could be. Could have. Like, no one can convince him otherwise. This is an extinct creature. There's one of them left on Earth, and he's teaming with them. This is where my mind goes during segments. Way. Interesting. That's your way of just shaking your head no. <laughs> but that's fine. Um, I'll have to really see it on paper, I think, to get it. But, how, how, did you, how did you feel about going going the, the direction of like, you know, taking taking your shots at WWE? I mean, we've talked about it, you know, when guys do it. And, you know, it, I, I do think that there is an audience that totally wants to hear this stuff and others that will look at it and kind of groan that that's the introductory um, shot that, that you take. But, I mean, there's I, people that expect it and people who want it. I think in Russo's case, it's 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 to be expected because the guy came in i think with so much uh his story to like any person who actually watches the show is somebody who has been tremendously underpushed given how much the crowd has reacted to him and um 
to me, like a promo like this was, he needed to almost say something like this just to kind of um, remind, you know, like just to really give, give like give his mission statement. I mean, I think coming off of this, he should probably shelve it and not necessarily mention WWE or allude to him anymore. There's no real need to. You've kind of touched on it. Yeah, we all know you're you were um, underutilized. Well, let's see, like how talented you actually are. And that's what I'm really interested in is, you know, what kind of character he's going to portray this time around. I'm happy to see that he's not just going to do some sort of retread of Rusev Day. Um, he's not seemingly doing any sort of Bulgarian brute type of retread either. It seems more, though, like to he's me, probably he's, limited in like where what kind of character he could do in in like playing off. of. I that. guess what I meant was like, you know, the shirtless guy who just like rarely spoke speaks um, that sort of thing. Instead, he came out in a t-shirt, uh, came out like dressed as a normal human being, plugging his Twitch channel. And that part has me, um, I don't know, at least a little bit curious. Um, are these two simply going to be bonding together because of their love of Twitch? Uh, are they going to be video gamers? Um, maybe maybe Miro's also an energy drink consumer. Oh, that too? Okay. But... Yeah, the Twitch thing, how they're going to... I mean, they certainly made great mention of it, uh, both of them. I I think the jokes are officially over for like the the Twitch stuff. I think it was a very small window to get your little jabs in. And I don't know if they work so well on TV as opposed to a being the elite kind of show. Um, I I just feel like, okay, we got it, the Twitch stuff. I don't think it needs to be a permanent part of... I mean, for Kip Sabia, there's a selfish reason that, yeah, I'll just plug my Twitch stream every time. For all of them, for every wrestler now. You know, I, I think there is a line where you it it's less of okay, wow, they're so edgy taking the shot, and more so it, it comes off like you're just you're the number two. That's just like it's it it almost I, is a little petty. In this case, I didn't even think it was really them taking shots. I think it was actually like both Kip Sabian and Miro just wanting to publicize this uh the Twitch channels that they have. Um, I, I certainly hope like there's going to be more to the story than simply these two meeting on Twitch and being friends. And I just hope Twitch doesn't become a part of their personality and their characters, but, uh, especially in Miro's case. Um, but I mean, maybe they'll find a way to make it work. When's the wedding going to be? They didn't announce a date. Yeah. I don't know. You've Not got sure. to, uh, they need a Rusev the date. That's right. Shivani interviewed Hangman Page. This was a sit-down they did earlier in the day. Tony's offered a drink, and he says, no, I've got to work. (laughs) Page says his ribs are bruised, and he's going over just all the usual cliches. And Tony says, I don't want these bullshit answers. How are you really doing? And Page snaps out of it. It's like a wrestler like that's going into character during an interview, and you just say, enough with this bullshit. Have you ever said that to somebody who has responded to you in character? Uh I I would be I would always like have my way around it like I would just press with a harder question and 9 times out of 10 they would snap out of it and understand okay I don't want to hear you in your character uh Dan Lavransky was uh <laughs> more abrupt in <laughs> I don't want to hear cut these the bullshit shit. answers <laughs> He did once tell Tito Ortiz to cut the shit and <laughs> uh stop cutting a promo when he was doing a that referee gig for TNA. Um, so <laughs> Paige says that for 30 minutes, he didn't hear the fans make a sound because they were holding their breath 
anticipating the breakup of him and Omega, which is one interpretation. He says it didn't have to happen. FTR should not have been the number one contenders. It's his fault. The Young Bucks are the best team, and it's my fault that I lost two best friends. I was influenced by FTR by thinking I was just like them. My body is full of poison. And he almost says this like to himself because Tony like is moving on to his next question and kind of doesn't register like the gravity of that. Like here's a man saying, I'm just poison. He says that him and Omega had lots of problems, but they also had lots of victories. And he is confident they can climb back up and regain the tag titles and get through this problem. Mm-hmm. I like this. I and, like we, this. and we get the contrast later with Kenny Omega, who has a very different uh, – analysis of the match it was a very good sympathetic babyface promo from page um he's somebody who's shown to be very regretful of his actions and somebody who seems to be in a great deal of i think uh mental uh i don't know instability or uh, insecurity i would say in himself and his his own actions and this is the sort of like connective tissue i was i've been really hoping for with this feud uh, more interview types of segments just so we get a sense of what exactly is going on in these characters heads yeah Because I think that when you – like just on the surface, it's – like look at the length he went to to avoid facing the Young Bucks. And this guy – like it was him pretty much single-handedly rescuing Omega to win that match in February. Like Mm -hmm. I I think that you need a bit more explanation. Like they kind of addressed it, the Bucks did, about you didn't think you could beat us again and – I don't know. To me, it's like it's it's a bit of a stretch that he has gone to this length for the fact that they won. They they beat the Bucks. So yeah. Anyway, um, he did it himself. It, like that was the story of Revolution. Was that Paige? if anything, it would be Kenny who would who would have like cost the Bucks the 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 shot just to stop them from uh, facing them again? Because would right. he be the one who would be unsure? Mm-hmm. Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss versus Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, no DQ. Janela goes after Jericho, and then Sonny Kiss knocks Hager off the apron and hit this spin kick on Jericho, uh, followed by stereo missile drop kicks from Janela and Sonny Kiss sending them to the floor. And Sonny Kiss did this handstand pose with Janela holding him up. Janela then attacked with a chair and got caught and uh, dropped onto it. They attacked Janela. Jericho is sent into this uh, chair in the corner. Hager and Kiss get tagged in. Hager then yanks Kiss off the turnbuckle into the splits. Some of the athleticness, the athleticism from Sonny Kiss was unbelievable in this match. Like he's got incredibly like dynamic and unique offense, and in and in a situation like this, it was pulled off really well. Like he had really great chemistry with Jake Hager, and I like it didn't look soft. Like it wasn't like these nope. elaborate flips where the landing is kind of like cushioned or not look so good like i thought sunny kiss looked really good in this it's sort of like um like naomi does very much that similar type of offense you know a lot of splits a lot of like i would say very unique looking kind of like kicks and things like that um but in this match i I thought sunny kiss pulled it off like very real like more realistic you know or or more hard-hitting janella i didn't think clicked really that that well Uh, like some of the stuff with jericho it just felt like a little awkward at times but uh, the stuff with Kiss, with Jericho and Hager, like I, I thought that really stood out here. <laughs> there was one spot where Jake is going for a Hager bomb. There's a trash can on top of Sonny Kiss. And then as he goes for this Hager bomb, Sonny Kiss just lifts 
the garbage can higher and Jake lands on it, selling the trash can, which, I mean, it was going to hurt him regardless of where this was, but I guess this protected Sonny Kiss a bit more. But it just seemed like this was a very ill-thought-out maneuver, which is kind of, you can buy as Jake Hager, who is like this this muscle head who is not the brightest guy on the team. Well, it's a spot that's pretty common in wrestling. You put something in between you and your opponent as you're diving onto him, and it's only going to hurt your opponent, not you, right? Yeah, the ladders are always the worst. <laughs> Which is why, like, this canner, to me, seemed incredibly um, unique, even though it was so simple. Just Sunny Kiss basically lifting the object away from his body, and then, in turn, it hurts his opponent. I mean, logically, it kind of goes against everything that, like, wrestling has sort of established and, and for that type of spot. But, whatever. I buy it. We now have something I'm going to just uh, reserve as the death corner of the ring where on the floor in the corner, they set up some contraption for someone to die. And it was Janela's turn on this show where Jericho catapulted him into Hager who caught him on the stage, threw him off the stage and put him through a table. That was the last we saw of Joey Janela kiss came off the top of the high cross onto both and goes back and forth with flips an ax kick onto Jericho. This was a great sequence. And then Jericho had to resort to a fire extinguisher, sprayed it into Sonny Kiss's face, and then Hager lifted him with a urinagi into the head and arm and won the match in 946. But I I thought in particular, like Sonny Kiss uh, worked very well off of Jericho and Jake Hager. And uh, first, uh, how did you uh, feel about the match? Uh, I agree with your points. You know, to me, the finish was was never in doubt. I mean, you know, it's Chris Jericho coming off of that Mimosa loss, Mimosa match loss. Um, he was probably going to beat th- this team from AEW Dark. Um, but it was also a case where I felt like the losers, in particular Sonny Kiss, gained a whole lot in the match. I mean, that to me is largely because of the dis- disparity in rank between Chris Jericho and Jake Hager and Sonny Kiss and Joey Janela. You know, having Kiss in particular be so single-handedly dominant at the end of this match while Janela was laid out against both Chris Jericho and Jake Hager, to me, really ups his stock in my eyes. Um, and also the fact that his comebacks look so tremendous, um, I think, did a great deal of service for, for his, his, um, uh, his, his I want to say his like kind of mental rank in a lot of the audience's head. So I really hope there's some follow-up after this. Jericho gets on the microphone. It's not working. He cuts a promo on Justin Roberts. And he says the inner circle had a terrible night at All Out. Sammy Guevara is at home injured. His boots are still squishing from the vat of mimosa. But Jericho and Jake Hager are going to build themselves up to go for the tag titles. It's him and the human brick wall, Jake Hager. I love like the simple transition from one feud to the other. I mean, Jericho didn't really kind of linger on the on the Orange Cassidy thing. Like, gave him a reference to show that I'm still suffering from the defeat at at, at the hands of that man. Uh, but didn't really try to like regain his heat by insulting him. Like, I'm just thinking back to like Sheamus and that Jeff Hardy feud, where like I, even after losing that bar fight, like he would go on to like insult Jeff so much that. Yeah, it just like to me, it made Jeff look bad coming off of it. So in this case, it was just like Jericho stating a new purpose and him being in the tag team division is a good way to refresh Jericho. And I'm already excited again to see what what's what what he can do to me. The loss didn't hurt him at all. 
I thought this was great. It, number one, it made your tag titles feel that much more important. Like, here's Chris Jericho, that that's a goal for him to go after. It immediately says this main eventer is going for the tag titles. Number two, this is such a great lesson of when you see someone come off a big program and it's like, oh, what do you do with them next? And they can just – they could fall. They could be doing something non-important. And when you have a thriving tag division and you can do something like this, I mean, it it just gives you a whole different set of circumstances that he comes off. He's you know just as important here. It, it really emphasizes this tag division that much more. And I think this could be certainly learned from a lot of companies that you can just put a team together. And by having a main event guy like Jericho, it just ups the credibility of your your tag title. So I think this is a great direction to go for just as importantly, but, like it's a great way to like hold off Chris Jericho from burning out any sort of exactly. singular feuds that they yes. could have. I mean, look at what they've done with Kenny Omega over the past year and page putting him in the tag team division. I mean, certainly could the singles division have used him? Yeah, sure. But I mean, he's good. If he's going to come out of it right now, the guy comes in way fresher, uh, all these matchups, I, I mean, it's almost like putting somebody into a different territory or, you know, in modern day kind of equivalent SmackDown or moving somebody to SmackDown and then bring them back to Raw and freshening him up because uh, all the matchups are different now. So I, I think it's a great use. MJF fired his campaign staff. He said that Moxley used an illegal maneuver like a coward, but he can't blame a scorpion for stinging you because it's in their nature. Nina was still smiling, and then he insulted her looks and made her cry, and then it's just down to him and Wardlow. Wardlow refers to him as Sir, and MGF just dresses him down for screwing up. He's an illiterate Hulk, and then we learn that it's not Tony Khan that signs your checks. It's me, and I'm the only one that sees potential in you, and I'm your only friend. And he tells Wardlow to get it together, or else I'll have to put you and your family out on the street. And it's time for us to make a plan and get back to the top. And Wardlow just puts his head down and acknowledges that he is in indebted to MJF. And I think that this is a really good, slow tease with, with Wardlow, who is completely dependent upon MJF and clearly not realizing uh, what his uh, NXT level of interest would be if he went to the open market. But hey... <laughs> Very true. I really like this. Um, it was a way, uh, again, for MJF to jump on into his next program. Um, but in particular, it was a way to add a great deal of depth to this Wardlow character, who up until this point has really just been portrayed as muscle. He's the guy who carries MJF's ring and will step in and beat up somebody for him when he needs him to. But now we have an idea why he is a guy who is simply doing his job, who is doing this potentially unwillingly, to provide for his family. So um, I think it's a great way of simply like making Wardlow this all of a sudden sympathetic baby face who is essentially being held hostage by this rich man that he's working for. And again, it reaffirms MJF's position as a top villain, even though he lost the match. What I want is the December, the late December edition of Dynamite. When MJF or Wardlow comes to him and says, can I have Christmas off MJF? <laughs> yes. And, and you do a Christmas carol with these two. Yeah. And Jeff says, you have to work. Um, sorry, this year you got to work Christmas and New Year's and you can't have a Twitch channel. 
No. Oh my God, that would be fantastic. He kicks it. He's not allowed to promote himself on social media. He yeah. owns the intellectual property of Wardlow. Yes. And I and I, I don't want you on 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 any. You are an independent contractor that has no benefits. <laughs> Uh, so lots of fun. When you think about it, think of like all the irons in the fire that you have for MJF. Like you have this feud eventually down the road. You've got the Cody win that he still holds. You've got the Moxley. He was cheated out of that. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, down the road, like the the feud of him and MJF, or sorry, not with, with MJF and Jungle Boy. That should be the the big AEW feud five years from now. Like there's just so many things you have going with, with this character. Absolutely. And uh, by extension now, Wardlow. So, you know, the man's been in this company for like a year plus now. Uh, we'll see if he's ready for like a storytelling role, you know, something beyond just standing next in, in this guy's corner. John Moxley did a quick promo. He says, nothing gets easier with Lance Archer next. There's no shortcuts to this title. You can't talk campaign or litigate your way to the title. You have to climb through a pile of crap and to and I am the number one man in the sport, which I guess PWI 500 uh, affirms. He says, what I feel in my heart and soul is that I'm unstoppable and asks, do you really want to bet against me? I, I think this guy is such a perfect champion, such a perfect babyface champion. Uh, I, I really love this guy's promos. I just think every time this is your this is your ass kicking babyface that is not going to get outsmarted and it's just the baby face you can easily get behind. And I think he's just fantastic for this role. I agree. And I really enjoy the way they've been booking him. As you mentioned, John, like he's not somebody who's just, you know, somebody who just doesn't take shit from people. He's also a smart guy. And that for some reason has been kind of lacking in like top baby faces. Um, to, to be fair, I think they're doing that pretty well with Drew. Yes. On Raw. Yeah, but but you're right. It's it's not like we see that um, across the board with, with like, top baby faces. I guess I'm thinking of even examples like Cena, where like he'd often get outsmarted and be the type of like, oh, I've got to get revenge on this guy. Um, and that's well and good, but man, there's nobody that's been around that's been like as cool, I would say, as John Moxley, that also like has been booked like a top champion as well. So it's nice. Enjoy it. FTR and Tully Blanchard were in the ring for their big celebration, which came with cake, and uh, they had photos set up. Tully says they are the greatest tag team champions in the world. Fear the revelation. And then he explains it was 117 degrees in the ring on Saturday, and they battled for 30 minutes. Cash Wheeler says that AEW has the deepest tag division in the world and all, uh, well, not all the tag teams, but a bunch of the tag teams were around the ring for the celebration. And he isolates some of them, including SCU. He said, it was our dream to face you. We grew up watching you. Can you imagine if you guys were still in your prime? If this was 20 years ago, <laughs> they go to talk to private party. They don't even have anything to say to them. They anoint themselves the locker room leaders. They are top guys in AEW. Then Dax Harwood says that Billy Gunn is a legend and he's not going to jump the line just because he's in some second-rate Hall of Fame. And next week, they're going to take on Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, but it's a non-title match. And they state that there isn't a comedy gimmick 
with a cause-playing dinosaur that's going to run our division. And this prompts Jurassic Express to come in and said, we're not trying to start a fight. And they throw napkins at Luchasaurus and then run out of the ring. Marco, Stunt, and Luchasaurus proceed to take the ice cooler and dump it on top of the three. And then, in a first for professional wrestling, the cake made it through and got eaten. They actually (laughs) ate the cake. I don't think I've ever seen this in (laughs) wrestling. They all got their paper plates and they were eating cake. No one's head got put into it. I've never seen the cake make it through. A monumental night in wrestling history. They had their cake and ate it too. Wow. Wonderful. Yeah. uh, I I really like this FTR celebration. I love Tully. You know, like he sounds great. He just sounds great as a mouthpiece for this type of group. Uh, It was wonderful to see him like sort of at the top of a division, being able to speak and cut the promo for a top act. Um, I thought all that was wonderful. And I love them calling out all the tag teams that were uh, situated around ringside. Gave you a good impression again of just like I don't know how deep the tag division is. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's a great team to build this around. And, and Tully is a fantastic addition to them. Ricky Starks dressed as Darby Allen is back. He said, I finally got injured, hurting my pinky and getting hit with thumbtacks, and now I can't skateboard with my friends. <laughs> and he calls Darby reckless. No one wants to tag with him. That's why you sit alone in the back. Now you're at home, and the next time you're here, Darby, I'm going to beat your ass. This I found, I, I was uh, I was less enthused with the Ricky Starks uh, dress-up last time. I, I, I enjoyed this one a lot more. Like th- this guy's very good. He's a very charismatic performer, and I never doubted that before. But I thought uh, he it, this worked a lot better this time around for me. But I know you liked it the last time. I'm I, sure you did this time too. I did. Yeah, I just get such a kick out of him, like doing his depressed emo kid. It was impression. awesome. Like that that whiny voice was awesome. Yeah, I really. <laughs> like you, that's a great heel tactic for Darby Allen to uh, hone in on. Oh my god. Yeah, him coming out with the ridiculous face pain and just him like bowing his head, acting all like like super goth. It was like it was so funny to me. And and the promo itself when he when it was time for him to get serious, man, I I thought this was my favorite promo on the entire show. His delivery wow. is so smooth and he has an actual point to these promos and he was able to convey it in a, such a short amount of time. Um the intensity that he speaks with is you see this guy perform and you, it makes you wonder why AEW took so long to sign him. Um, why anybody took so long to sign him. Why he was so under the radar for so long. Because he is a top, top level speaker. Yeah. I mean, credit to NWA for showcasing mm-hmm. this guy when uh, few were uh, aware of him. I mean, that was a lot of people's introduction to him. Great pickup by AEW. Presence. He just has loads of it. Tons of charisma. He's going to be future champion for sure. Then they aired the uh, the lowlights of the tooth and nail match, and we go into Ty Conti, who had just signed today with AEW against Nyla Rose. Uh, what did you think about the the signing of Ty Conti with the as an addition to the division? I mean, they had they had shot the angle. I think that was pretty clear that she was she was coming in once they did the Dark Order invitation. So I thought she was supposed to be a part of the Dark Order. Didn't she accept? No, the the way it was done uh, was. Well, 
on on Twitter afterwards, she said, "What? I was just hugging my friend." So it's left uh, ambiguous if she has accepted the invite by the Dark Order. What is that supposed to mean? She's pretending she didn't know what the hug was supposed to signify. So why did they show that on TV? Like, I mean, in reality, what was that supposed to mean? Like, did they think that they were going to go with None of that was brought up. Like, it was, they did mention the invite, but there was no Dark Order involvement here, so. Whatever. um, Clearly, she's not a part of it right now, at least not not at this point. Um, But, you know, I think she's a good addition. Um, Honestly, I, you know, spoiler alert, I was less than enthused by, I think, her performance in this match. Um, But... The division needs fresh faces, and I think she's like definitely got great ability. Um, I just don't think we re- necessarily saw it in this match. Vicky is with uh, Nyla Rose. Uh, Conti is using her kicks, rolls into a knee bar that Nyla stomps free of. Uh, they went through picture and picture. This is after Vicky attacks uh, Conti behind the referee's back. Uh, Nyla was biting her fingers and then hit a leg drop. Conti gets a le- uh, an arm bar applied, and... Uh, I think it was Jim Ross. Like he was trying to really amplify this. Like, hey, this could be Nyla Rose being submitted here, and she ends up lifting up Conti into the Beast Bomb and pins Conti in five thirty one. And at the end of this, they teased that there would be breaking news from Cody coming up right after this show. Huge and news, huge, huge, huge. What what breaking news it would be uh, to come. Um, yeah, match was all right. I didn't think there was anything uh, bad about it. It was, it was, it was fine. I th- I think she has a better performance within her. I I don't know if it like Nyla's just perhaps a, an awkward opponent for for uh, Tanara Conti to really show her style. Uh, to me, she looked a little bit hesitant and sluggish at times. But I I mean, I feel like amongst like the rest of the roster, she might be one of the more a bit more experienced than, than others. So I look forward to seeing how she mixes it up with like a Hikaru Shida and, um, you know, um, even like Swole. Vicky just cut a big promo. Excuse me. She said the vicious vixens are here to make a statement. They're not going anywhere. And then in runs Hikaru Shida with the weapon of the week between the Mysterio family Tommy Dreamer and Eric Young on Impact Tuesday, and then Rhea Ripley and Mercedes Martinez. We have seen enough kendo sticks over the course of three nights and four shows to last six months. Well, I mean, okay, in Sheeta's defense, it's sort of her thing, isn't it? And also Dreamer, of course. But uh, why is it that like we've embraced kendo so much? Well, I mean, there are plenty of other games with sticks. You know, what about hockey, cricket? Hockey sticks, okay. You know, let's get creative, everybody. I mean, I mean, if the Mysterios really wanted to stick it to Murphy, I mean, baseball bats. Baseball bats. Ooh. I mean, well, you want to you send a message. We've kind of had that. Um, trying to think what else we could use. Maybe um, uh, t- badminton rackets. You know, come on, guys. Lots of paper, sports out there. Paper cuts. Yeah. Those suck. Um, anyway, they chased off the heels and Hikaru Shida backed up Ty Conti. Yep. Jim Ross did a sit down with Kenny Omega earlier in the day. He says, not a champion anymore. You win them and you lose them. It's part of the game. He noted with him and Hangman, when the bell rang, they just had such a chemistry with the two of them. Therefore, he thought this was what he was, he was meant to do. He said that he was told at the beginning of AEW he was supposed to be the single star and the ace of the company, 
And he didn't really have a direction in this company until he started teaming with Hangman. He says it's such a deep tag division. They had to dig deep to get to that top level. He's really proud of their run. But now I have my own dreams and goals. And I gave a year of my life to Hangman and tag wrestling. It's time to go back to singles action and give a piece of what they want and what they have wanted since day one, that being the audience. And I mean, this came off like, again, this was very much like if you're, if you were dismissive of Kenny Omega's actions on Saturday, it's like, he's, he's giving the fans what they want. Now you're going to get your big, you're going to get your singles run out of uh, Kenny Omega at, at the end of this. So, I mean, they're very much playing like the shades of gray where you'll have moments where they snap and they're, less likable, and then you have them calm down, and they're much more uh, the voice of reason uh, to these to this. Um, I, I just question if people are really latching on to this long term. We'll see. They're obviously very invested in this. This is like one of the, the key but very long-term stories that they're drawing out. I mean, I would say like this was pretty, you know, um, I guess congruous with like what he did on Sunday. You know, on Sunday it was him basically no longer wanting to save Hangman, no, no longer wanting to hold Hangman, Hangman up because he was done with being a tag team wrestler. He was disappointed and didn't care to put effort and energy into maintaining this tag team anymore. And he, But that, Kenny, was giving an ultimatum to the Young Bucks. It's me or him. This was like, oh, we had such great chemistry together. We were so good as a tag team. He gave me purpose in this company. This wasn't a guy ushering or issuing an ultimatum. Right. Um, not to the Bucks. Although, I mean, did we? Did he have a chance to? I don't know. Maybe I haven't really thought it through yet. And you know what? This is a story that requires a bit of thinking. So um, I, I thought Kenny sounded good in this setting. You know, often I think he plays this over-the-top BTE uh, character that, you know, maybe people are, are rightful to criticize of uh, for, for seeing too much of sometimes, but... When he needs to sound real, I think he totally has that ability, and he completely demonstrated it here. He, he's him sitting down with Jr. Like it felt no different than you know the interview I saw you do with him like a year and a half ago or whatever, or any other like real interview. He doesn't sound like he's cutting a promo. He just sounds like he's talking, and he's great in those settings. I think that is that's going to be relatable to people, and I think like that is kind of what they're trying with a lot of these characters is that. How would these people react if this was a real breakdown of friendship and you're testing the limits, I think, of fans. And it's like the jury's out on whether that will work because I think they're they are used to, you know, certain certain black and white elements and you can play with those shades of gray. But it's all in kind of how you balance it out and is the idea of, you know, if you're a fan of Hangman, you can make an argument why he's in the right. And if you're a fan of Kenny Omega, you can make an argument He's in the right. I mean, that can be very compelling if you execute it in a precise manner. It can also be very uh, difficult if the fans can't really choose a side and they sort of are just not invested in the story with that high drama where it's more defined roles. But I'm curious to see them try it out. It's given who's involved here, you know, it's not going to be something that's just uh, dropped or not handled with care. My request is that we just simply get kind of more instances of this. Of, you know, these types of, like, um, talking segments with these guys. Yeah, I think these segments uh, work 
work, work well. They're very good. In they're necessary things. for yeah. like yep. a story, you know, that I think is full of so much kind of like, I don't know, internal strife. So then they announce that October 14th will be billed as their one year anniversary show. And headlining that, that night's dynamite will be John Moxley versus Lance Archer for the AEW title. So that's uh, three weeks before the pay-per-view and we'll, I, I really like the idea of like we're building up a show this long in advance. Like we've got a month before this anniversary show, and that that's the the right setting for Lance Archer challenging for the title. I don't know if you would have wanted to wait to the pay per view. Um, so yeah, October fourteenth will obviously be a very big show for them, and I wonder what the I haven't done the math of how many weeks in between takeovers there are if October the 14th will signify something big. How many weeks in between takeovers? Um, oh, you that, mean like that was NXT? why we, that was why we got the double title match because it was halfway in between takeovers. That's why that was happening on that date. So gotcha. I imagine October 14th will have some significance as well. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a, a great idea for a, one of these in between major dynamites in between these pay-per-views. Um, I'm sure, you know, promoting it this far in advance, I'm, I, I, I have no doubt it'll do well on that day. And, uh, Moxley versus Archer, it's, it seems like, again, um, not as big of a match, I would say as like something I would headline a pay-per-view with, but for a big TV show match, especially this far out in advance. And hopefully they can do great work with Lan- with Lance Archer, Archer and the feud, uh, in that time. I, I, I think they definitely have the potential of building it up to a big TV match. You've got five weeks to build up Lance Archer, and I think they will go all in building him up so that this feels like an important match. And, you know, for all we've said, there will be a lot on Jake Roberts to assist with that. Do you think they acknowledge the uh, New Japan match these two have had? I think they will. I think they will acknowledge their history. Yeah, these guys had a match in the Tokyo Dome. You know, it's not just an insignificant match, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I think they should. I think it only it builds to it that much more. Uh, will they? Will they refer to Jake Roberts placing a snake on Dean Ambrose on Old School Raw uh, seven years ago? Totally forgot about that. Uh, I hope they do. Yeah. Next week, which is very loose, it will be either next Wednesday or next Thursday. We don't know. We're just being honest, as they said. We've got best friends against Santana and Ortiz in a parking lot fight. Thunder Rosa versus Ivelisse for the NWA women's title. They're going to have the NWA title defended on television. Really cool. Really happy to see uh, Thunder Rosa stick around. And um, the fact that like she's not even just a competitor, but somebody who's going to defend the belt. I mean, it's, you know, signifies a continued working relationship with Billy Corgan and the NWA. Um, and- the NWA would be crazy to withdraw from this. Like this is only good for them to Absolutely. have Thunder Rosa, who is that much more popular today than she was two weeks ago. Totally. They're also next Tuesday is the start of those uh, the Tuesday night pay per views, and they're doing Nick Aldis and Mike Bennett on that that first pay per view. Oh, interesting. Okay, these are the uh, the Tuesday night pay per views. So it's uh, it's like seven ninety nine for per show. Or you can do a bundle for the first four. Um, I would expect, I mean, as part of the deal, I could see AEW promoting those shows like as a, as part of a crawl or a ticker in between, in, during this Well, match. I mean, tonight would have been the night to promote it, right? Right. It's Tuesday. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, 
maybe they're waiting for Thunder Rosa to actually be on screen, you know, like an NWA title match on actually being on screen in order to do it. Yeah. I'm going to watch the debut next week, but I, I, I think it's going to be tough asking people to pay mm-hmm. for, for shows every Tuesday. They're very lucky they avoided any of these Tuesdays that NXT got bumped. Right. So there's a lot going on on Tuesday nights. Uh, what else do we have here? FTR against Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy non-title match. Jake Hager and Jericho against Private Party. MJF in action. And I think this will be very good. Hangman Page against Frankie Kazarian. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there you go. A lot announced, just not the day of the week that they're unsure of due to the NBA playoffs. Main event, Brody Lee, Dustin Rhodes, TNT title. Dustin Rhodes jumps him during the introductions in the ring, and they fight to the floor. They go over the guardrail, and Brody Lee takes a back body drop onto the table, and Excalibur with the call of the night, Mr. Brody Lee, I am the table, as it does not break. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the best way to describe that happening. They make it into the ring. They go through the picture in picture. There is a chant for Dustin, and then he does a Hurricane Rana out of the corner, and a Destroyer onto Brody Lee only gets a two count. He hits the crossroads. Brody Lee kicks out of that, and then he stops Dustin with a powerbomb. Uh, they make their way to the apron. Dustin comes off with a cannonball and then hits the unnatural kick, which Jim Ross simplifies, or a low blow. Dustin takes out John Silver. I I hope that is uh, material for next week. And then he goes for a pile driver, can't get him up, tries the second time, delivers it to Brody, who grabs on to the bottom rope at the count of two. And then Brody Lee comes back, pair of super kicks, discus lariat, and he pins Dustin in 10 minutes and 28 seconds. I thought that this was... uh, I, I liked it. Like it was, a, it was a fine main event. A lot of fire from from Dustin Rhodes. This wasn't like your your killer hot match, but I thought it was you know fine for what it was of what you expected. Like uh, an intense ten minutes from Dustin Rhodes. I thought it was a perfect, perfectly fine. Um, you know, it's a good TV main event. Um, it was. I think um, having Brody Lee hold the TNT title is, is certainly going to be a change of pace from like the type of matches we're used to seeing from Cody hold, holding this belt. And it's like, to me, a good change of pace because he's got a much more aggressive brawling style and um, he's going to be given time in these in these types of matches. And I I actually quite enjoy like seeing, you know, a more aggressive kind of like match to end the show rather than something a bit more technical or at least in Cody's case, like. I don't know, maybe kind of free flowing depending on who he was facing. Uh, but you know, he it's a heel holding this belt now, and I think he's gonna go through a slew of like babyface challengers like a Dustin Rhodes that um maybe might not be able to like gain as much as like the Cody defenses. Cause like the Cody defenses were always like this guy from nowhere is going to get the shot at the champion. I mean, it's very much like Rocky One, right? You know, and at the end of it, uh, if this person can last with Cody, they'll have gained a whole lot. With Brody Lee, it's more like, I'm a heel. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Uh, even if you survive, I'm still going to beat the shit out of you. It's more so about pushing Brody Lee at this point, which is totally fine, too. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just going to be a different run and a different utilization of this TNT title. I know a big part of the story of the Cody match was this was a guy who was pushing the limit and over overworking himself and he ran into someone he couldn't handle. But just because of how concrete and one-sided that match was, do you feel that this 
this match should have been at least maybe not to the degree of that, but it, it shouldn't been so 50, 50. Um, but you saying they booked Dustin to look too strong. Should, should Brody Lee have looked that much more dominant in this match? Because the ultimate match is it's Cody coming for his revenge after he got blown out in that title switch. Right. I, I I guess I don't I didn't really think about Dustin looking too strong in this match. I mean, to me, I think you know with AEW matches, it, there's always the idea. Um, despite I think you know like my complaints about like what is it uh, Thunder Rosa last week, like the the idea, especially for a main event, is to like give you something substantial. And I think Dustin Rhodes at this point has been booked strong enough to be somebody who can give Brody Brody Lee at least like a fifty fifty style of match. You know, I don't think it really hurts like a Cody-Brody match in the future. Dark Order came out to celebrate, and they're carrying out a limp QT Marshall and just dump him into the ring. Brody Lee kicks Colt Cabana out of the ring. He's still pissed off at him from the pay-per-view, wants him gone. They lift up Dustin only for Brody to hit him with a low blow, and they pose with the title. He looks into the camera, come home, Cody, and they kept promoting this news from Cody. And I misspoke earlier. I said that the main event was our TNT title match. <laughs> the main event was our video that was released online as soon as the show ended. Everyone, are you sitting down? Cody will join Snoop Dogg, Rosario Dawson, Jennifer Nettles, and host Burt Kreischer for the biggest, most extreme talent show ever. Go Big Show. A whole game show built around stunts involving Paul White coming to TBS. <laughs> uh, this I watched this whole commercial. It was like two minutes. It's a competition series. No singing, no dancing. This is like uh, this is a bit of a dated reference. This would be like Spike TV with their response to America's Got Talent. It's just death-defying feats. Involving regular Americans, and the winner gets $100,000. Cody is one of the judges. Um, I will not watch a second of this, but is this for what Cody... Is this what he's taking time off to do? Uh, I guess it was... Like, this was record, This was shot. I would imagine that this was uh, something that he was working on. I don't know. I don't know when this was shot, though. Okay. Well, uh, certainly, like, this type of news, with them promoting it as big as they did on AEW, was met with some disappointment from wrestling fans hoping for a wrestling-related announcement. Uh, so I would tend to agree. I mean, but... He did acknowledge his injury in this promo spot, okay. although he seems to be doing okay. But, you know, it, like, it is a, a big story for, I think... This is a big thing for AEW yeah. to have... I mean, it's on TBS, like, obviously, there's the connection, but, I mean, it tells you, like, they wanted AEW representation in this show, and, I mean, that is all you need to know about their commitment to AEW, and TBS, like, this looks like something they're going to promote the shit out of this show, and Cody's one of the people that is attached to a heavily promoted vehicle by TBS. It's an indication that, I mean, I think we already knew this, but I mean, at least maybe the relationship between AEW and TNT might have been a, in a bit of a question recently, just with the uh, ousting of, um, uh, what's what's that dude's name? Kevin Riley. Kevin Riley. But I mean, I don't, who knows when this deal might have been made, but uh, either way, um, Cody stands to be able to gain a great deal of uh, mainstream attention, I suppose, being on the same show as Rosario Dawson and Snoop Dogg. 
And in turn, that can only be helpful for AEW. So that that was the real main event of the show. And uh, there you go. $100,000 if you can, uh, I don't know, lift swords while someone is being lifted up by your mouth. <laughs> I think Cody will be good on the show. He's, he's, he's very good in like... I hope so. Really he didn't have any of those like high spot clips in uh, for lack of a better term in this uh in this trailer, but you would think that he would be very good off the cuff uh reacting to these contestants. I don't know who Jennifer Nettles is. I don't know her either. Um she's she a musician or something? I couldn't tell you. Okay. I know all the others, but not her. Well, I was going to say like is Cody the least famous person or Yeah, it's probably her him or Jennifer Nettles and <laughs> watch Jennifer Nettles is uh way popular than than Jennifer Nettles has three hundred fifty thousand followers. Cody is like close to a million, so I don't know what that says. Well, but. maybe she's at the maybe she's the the bottom celebrity in this. Okay, that was AEW. I, I thought like an enjoyable show. I don't think that there was uh, the opening tag was a very entertaining one. Um, but I thought more so important was you have. All these different directions, which I think is always a strong point for your your come down show after a big pay-per-view. You did so much great promotion of your tag division and your tag titles. So I like that. And building up to this title match that is five weeks away, uh, they, they set up a lot of things for um, the key characters moving forward. So in, in that sense, I, I thought this was a good rebound show from All Out on Saturday. I agree with you. I, I enjoyed the show mainly like just because um, of the way they handled so many, I don't know, moving parts coming off of um, All Out. Um, you know, all the victors got sort of like their, most of the victors, I, I guess, got their next chapters. We didn't hear from the Young Bucks. Um, so I guess they're they're still holding that off. But even the people that lost got, you know, transitions into their next chapters. And I think everything made sense. Uh, you had some solid wrestling here in the opening bout. Um you got a surprise in Miro. That's right. Yeah. I mean, Who I'd say by the end of the show wouldn't maybe be the first thing you're, you're thinking of. And that's, true. that's that, you know, that's uh, maybe a point against it, but it was nonetheless, it was like, he seemed to get a, a good reaction and it, it's more so like, where is this guy two months from now? What do, what do they have planned for him? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely make the argument that, Hey, like a guy as big as Rusev, should he have been saved for a bigger role in the main event spot rather than whatever's going on with Kip Sabian? I would actually completely agree with that. Uh, but you're right too, John. Like two months from now, uh, it's it's what really matters. Uh, I thought Sonny Kiss had a tremendous performance in that match. Totally. So that's that to me was another standout. All right, let's check in with the forum, forum forum.postwrestling.com. Coming off of All Out, the forum gives this show a 7.27 in a typical AEW Dynamite range. Paul from New Jersey, I feel as though AEW gets the benefit of the doubt, but Rated R Poster made a good point. Maybe they do because they acknowledge their mistakes and shortcomings. AEW Mm -hmm. didn't hide Matt Hardy, and I thought he had a really nice promo. If MJF ever wants to go to Hollywood, I think he would do well. The guy has great range and is the best promo in all of pro wrestling. Glad Kip Sabian got something, even though the segment was a bit awkward. He's underrated. Happy to see Miro. A return to form show for AEW 8.5. Says Burt Kreischer is one of the funniest comedians out there. That show looks (laughs) awful, though. Um, Davey and Braden should do a review of Go Big Show. Uh, possibly if they want to add that to their, their plate. I mean, those guys seem busier than ever, but, uh, uh John, C- John Cena can cover John Cena. Yes. Add, add Man, that to the list. John Cena reviewed something like, 
he reviewed two episodes of Dark this week on a shot yeah. of the dark in the in the dark. I mean, I, I watched a bit of Dark on, on on Tuesday night. They gave Will Hobbs his first victory. Oh, cool. Yes, but uh, yeah, another plug for uh, John Cena's A Shot in the Dark. That show is actually available for free, everybody. So uh, you can find that on the Up Next Patreon feed. Um, I. And I guess if you don't subscribe to the Patreon feed, which you should, you can always at least stream it off their Patreon site. Every oh, just support the guys. Yeah, I mean, even like for like two dollars and five cents a month, you can at least get access to a feed, and you can listen to all their show or a number of their shows, including John Cena's A Shot in the Dark. So a plug for that. We got. I'm. Oh, sorry. No, go please ahead. go ahead. I was just saying I've. I, I am behind on some listening, but I was. Uh, I started listening to their SummerSlam game that they did a few weeks ago, and just the uh, so it's it's Braden, Davey, John Ceno, Andrew Thompson, and Nate Milton, and just the uh, the venues they have to pick, and then they have to come up with a slogan for their SummerSlam and theme songs. And I mean, we had everything here from like Evanescence to it was just all over the place. It was a very, very fun show. I haven't, I haven't heard the whole thing, but I'm like an hour into it. Very, very fun show. The Davy is on top of the, uh, the, the, the gaming in the up next world. He's the games master. Those guys will also be next level. Uh, yeah. They'll also be reviewing the room sometimes, sometime this month. So, uh, lots going on with the BDE. All right, we got Andy from London who says, I thought this was a solid show. I switched on with the intention of only watching the opening match as the show starts at 1 a.m. in the UK. But here I am at 3 a.m. thinking about how I have to be up at 8 a.m. for work. Wow. Oh, wow, 3 a.m. Wow. The show did its job to keep me interested for sure. My highlight was the introduction of Miro. He delivered a great promo and engaged with the crowd more than anyone has since crowds have returned. Where do you think that Miro will be positioned on the AEW card? Personally, I would like to see him in the world title picture sooner rather than later. Well, I'm not going to hold my breath for that to be. I, I think that this introduction with Kip Sabian is. I think it's a. We'll see where this goes. Like Kip Sabian has not been a really big character in AEW in any sense, but this gimmick building to like something notable, like a wedding segment, uh, that maybe they'll hold off until this anniversary show or something. Like that could be a big, you know, ratings driver. I think it puts him in a light that you will get to see the the YouTube Twitch version of Miro that he can work he can be very very funny and endearing so I don't I don't hate this role for him but I also don't know if it'll be like long term that he should be uh attached to Kip Sabian. Yeah, I'm really unsure about like where they have him slotted. I mean, because judging by like the the angle today you would think we're somewhere in the mid card, honestly, because that's like Kip Sabian at this point is kind of lower mid card, I would say, if that, if if even. Um, so Miro kind of like being attached as almost like a sidekick to Kip Sabian, you would suggest that he would be at the very best mid card, which to me would be a underutilization of him. Uh, but again, you know, anything can change in six months time. And who knows, maybe at the wedding, he'll turn on Kip Sabian and all of a sudden just be done with it. Uh, but certainly like, or leave with Penelope and he's the worst man. Oh, damn. Wow. That would be rather uncomfortable. Um, but, uh, certainly like the man is destined for a main title main event run, you know, like already at this point, I think, you know, like the promise of like maybe a Kenny Omega mural match. Uh, I don't know if people would necessarily classify that as dream match level, but it's certainly a match that, um, 
can at least headline a show, if not even a at least like be a, a match on a pay per view. So I definitely see him ultimately in like a main event level. Maybe he has uh, a mysterious uh, benefactor behind him, and we get the tag team of Miro and Hero. Wow, you still do you still think Chris Hero is is dude? I don't know what's going on with Chris Hero, but I can't believe that he has not surfaced anywhere because mm. he mm. would be someone that. Um, I mean, honestly, like if if New Japan was totally like tapped out and wanted like a surprise, he would be on my he would be on a list. Yeah, I wonder like what his loyalties are to like Noah, you know, um, if if he would go there first. Um, But I mean, at this point, I don't even know if, if he can. I mean, that's, you know, the big question is like who can even like get over there and what, you know, you know, people that have. Uh, already their New Japan ties that they were going to, you know, have the spots for them. But, um, and, and yeah, you know, I, again, AEW, like, they've got a lot of people right now. And, you know, well, a guy like Rusev I, w- I would in. have said that two months ago. It's like they still keep bringing in person after person after person. Like, we got two signings today with, with uh, Ty Conti and Rusev. The women's division kind of, like, needs... A, a lot of fresh blood, but yeah, like Miro, like we're just getting to, you know, giving Lance Archer kind of his second crack at the championship. I mean, he still needs some establishing. Brody Lee is almost just kind of like coming into his own. Um, Zack Ryder even. I I don't know if the guy will come back, but like, you know, he already seemed like one name too many. Um, but yeah. I am, I am glad they did this over the temptation of doing your big reveal of him as like the Joker in that battle Royal, if he wasn't going to win it, because right. I don't think that's any kind of way to introduce someone where they don't uh, win. So I'm glad they, they held off. Cause I'm sure that would have been tempting. Like that would have been your big buzz as he shows up on a pay-per-view and he's the Joker and, yeah. and that becomes his nickname. That's the other thing. No Matt Seidel. No, nothing with Matt Seidel. Yeah. They didn't even talk about him. Hmm. Um, so we'll see if he's back. Uh, your turn or mine? Sean from Albany. Hey guys, this is a pretty good show, but I finished up with the impression that things were just a bit rushed as though not having a full week following the pay-per-view ended up being an issue. The sound guy was on point with the levels for the crowd as well as the ringside wrestlers. You could tell they were all more engaged compared to Saturday. Positives were Miro, Moxley, and hot matches to bookend the show. FTR segment with Eddie Kingston and post-match fell flat for me. Nice to see Matt Hardy, but I wanted to see some substantive response to make sure this type of injury and oversight doesn't happen again. I didn't think, like, that's not going to be where they're going to have Matt Hardy come out and go through protocol of, like, that's just not where you're going to use your television time for. Uh, nor do I even hold them to, like, that's not how you use television Dr. Samson needed time. to come out. Yes, and it'd be get grilled by JR. Uh, Tony Schiavone mentioned in the post-game show from Saturday that a second show, not dark, would have been on the air by now if not for COVID. Have you heard anything? And do you think that is the reason this roster continues to expand? Yeah, so Tony Khan talked about this, and their hope is yet yeah, that the pandemic did slow things down to add this third hour at some point. they He made it clear it was not going to be a third hour of dynamite. It would be something else. Um, but yeah, it's... They've just said it's coming in the next year, but Tony Khan was not any more specific than that. But yeah, I'm sure that the pandemic has greatly affected uh, plans of expansion. And yeah, like they have built up their roster and the question will be like, how do you utilize this hour and what's going to be number one? Like what, 
what financially does this mean for AEW to get a to get another hour? Like this was not something that just came out of left field. It was known when they got the new deal back in January that uh, another hour was coming with this deal to be placed somewhere. And how will it differ from Dynamite or Dark? Well, that's that's a big question. Um, I don't know. Yeah. We got a Jomo who says, I really don't see how AEW gets the benefit of the doubt for being honest with their fans or upfront about things by th- trotting out Matt Hardy to say he's okay when they didn't even touch what JR said. I really don't get the defense of JR in almost any facet anymore, actually. That commentary from Saturday was disgusting, and he clearly doesn't care considering his lame non-apology and its subsequent deletion on Twitter. And for the people who go, oh, he's an old man, this happens sometimes, get the fuck out of here. Don Cherry was rightly let go after his you people rant, and that, at the absolute very least, had some vague terminology, although still gross. With the Anna J comment, Ross said on air that he wished he would he could see a young co-worker, young enough to be his granddaughter, nude and completely sexualize this rookie in a business where he is a power, power broker. Even if he says, even if she says she's fine with it, what do you think she's going to say? Is it really in her best interest to start? a stink about good old JR when he wields a certain amount of power and has such a long history in the industry. I bet he'd be labeled a prude as, and as hard to work with a lot faster than he would be labeled a pervert and misogynist, which he absolutely is. Does anybody remember him telling a story of how his way to get Gail Kim into WWE was to bring up Asian porn? That's as much an indictment on him as it is of Vince because he didn't tell the story in disgust. He told it as a funny anecdote. Um, I mean, all of these points, I think that it's it really comes down to what Anna Jay's response was uh, to that. I feel that if she was very uncomfortable with that, I would hope that she would feel confident enough to uh, voice that. And I would I imagine, think, but I mean, do you really think that she would? I mean, it would as a member on the roster as a young person. I mean, that's just what what this person Jomo is suggesting. You know, like. Does it really come down like should it we just let it come down to what Anna J says? Certainly like we all like the world acknowledges that what JR said is wrong. I don't know what sort of like conversations he's had with like Tony Khan backstage. I hope there was uh some serious, serious conversation. And I think JR really should be like under a, you know, three strikes you're out type of thing. And I don't know how many strikes this would be at this point, but like at some point like I have to imagine they con- they would consider hey like you can't keep embarrassing us like this um if there's no indication that like there's going to be change I have to imagine like you know I I hope that there there's some sort of like something in place where um no like as I said on Saturday you can't get away with with saying a comment like that um especially in this day and age and I like it was not one where I, I think like you as the viewer look at someone that is doing a live broadcast and if something slips, I think there's a line of what you believe is something that just is said and you instantly regret. And this to me was just one that like I just I could not imagine stating that line just off the top of my head. Um, I, I thought it was a terrible line to use. And I mean, it it comes down to AEW and how upset they were um jim ross put out the apology and then that tweet i believe was deleted afterwards as jomo stated and 
hasn't really been referenced since. You're right in the sense that if you're Anna Jay, if she really was bothered by that, is she going to be vocal about that? And you would hope that after everything we've been through the last few months, that that would be less of a concern that this is somehow going to affect me, the person who did nothing but go out and do my job, that comments like that are just your women's division has and the portrayal of women have just come too far that those lines can just be thrown out without any kind of uh, analysis after the fact of like, we, we can't have that. That can't be our lead announcer throwing out lines like that. And I hope Jim Ross understands that after, after Saturday, if, if not already. Yeah. It's um the fact that like, you know, like Matt Hardy came out and addressed what he did. Um, and like certain issues, I guess like um, aren't addressed. I guess so much. I mean, does like make me wonder? Like, is does there have to be a certain threshold of like people talking about something that is bad PR for AEW in order for them to to address it head on? And was this a case where people might have like brought it up a whole lot in that day and the day after, but afterwards it kind of died down? Um, Do you think there would have been a different? Um reaction to that line if it had been said on TNT versus a pay-per-view in terms of just the number of people that would have heard that I don't necessarily think so because like I feel like a lot of the the people who watch Dynamite are are people who are and and like commenting online about uh, uh, AEW are people that are ordering the pay-per-view so I think your most diehard vocal fans who are going to you know get upset about it and tweet about AEW for any reason are going to be fans um that are going to be watching the pay-per-view. All right. We continue with Matt. Pretty good show and excited to see Miro back in the wrestling game. I thought the show was solid overall and much better sound from the crowd today. I can't stand the fake crowd noise and I could barely hear Randy's opening promo on raw on a side note. How about them? Raptors won the game against the Celtics in double overtime and forced a game seven. Will you two be watching? Nope. No, we got to do SmackDown. Um, but uh, it'll be on in the background. So, yeah. Ben from Vancouver. I thought this was an excellent show and made some great steps forward after a rough pay-per-view. Too often with WWE, the post-pay-per-view show feels like nothing has changed and things continue on as they were. So you have to give AEW credit for selling the effects of All Out and giving new direction for so many guys. MJF and Jericho being disingenuous was the best opening segment in show history. Uh, he's basically got a full rundown here. But at the end, he says, I love the main event. Dustin is still one of the best workers out there. The show bounced AEW back big time for me and was everything I wanted in a post-pay-per-view show. Nine out of ten. All right. It seemed to be a largely positive reaction to Dynamite tonight after uh, a show that many left um, not uh, not with a thumbs up on Saturday, I will say. Some in the middle and some ultimately down. I think it's like the story. Dis- I mean, it's a lot of things. But really, I, I, I don't know if we're underestimating the effect like good crowd audio has on our enjoyment of these shows i think there's it definitely plays plays a factor i think that that tag title match if if that tag title match comes off uh hot and the people are into it i think you have a drastically different opinion of that show Mm. and it was interesting because um i I was listening to the the grapple guys with, with their thoughts on the show and uh and gareth was talking about the fact that it was you know, when you look like match by match at the at the ratings for it, like this was a show that it's not indicative of a bad show, but the overall like opinion of the show was 
uh, uh, the, the lowest they had ever put out. And I think people left that show, even, even with the last two matches, I think for most believing delivered with the Mimosa fight and the, the AW title match, but still people left with a negative feeling on the show. And I wonder how much of that was related to Matt Hardy, that people mm-hmm. were so taken out of the show and it left you with a, just with a negative uh, feeling on the show that that affected it definitely for me affected the Hikaru Shida Thunder Rosa match that I think you eliminate the Matt Hardy thing happening right before I think you appreciate that match a lot more yeah 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 so no it's interesting I mean a lot of factors that you know you can't control a lot of factors that you you can't um so yeah all right that's gonna wrap up the show but we're back Friday night Game seven of SmackDown taking place in two hours. <laughs> what do we have on SmackDown? We've got Roman. The promo is Roman and Jey Uso are going to wrestle in a couple of weeks. And Bailey just took out Sasha Banks. That's what the promo listed. I don't think we have anything else announced. Uh, and I don't know if you'll hear anything until maybe the next couple of days. So, um well, that is it. Canada, it's going to get dominated by basketball. But I would say even in the U.S., like game seven is going to be uh, that's a big game that SmackDown's going up against on Friday. Possibly, possibly. But we'll be watching and uh, we'll have a full report. That is live Friday night for all patrons, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time. Post Pro Res on Saturday. Keith Elliott Greenberg on Sunday. And in between that, we will uh, find some time to sleep. So goodbye, everybody. Postwrestling.com and way zero nine three seven on twitter and the gram oh thank you at i am john pollock on all the social media channels he um he's a great tweeter of course but on instagram i think that's where you really shine everyone go unfollow me thank you good night